This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour. Hello, I'm Mark Boulanger. One of the lessons that has come out of elections in the UK and the United States is the rise of the radical far right. In Britain, it has resulted in the country breaking away from the European Union and demanding that it be able to implement labor policies inferior to the EU. my brother cause if you do you can hear there are voices still calling from across the years and they're crying across the ocean they're crying dear friends welcome to the labor radio podcast network series highlighting the work of our members the growing network of over 70 shows in four countries serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content and it's a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. My name is Evan Papp, and I produce Empathy Media Lab's podcast on labor, political economy, arts, and culture. We're a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Today, I'm speaking with Mark Belanger of Radio Labor. So Mark, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and what led you to organize labor. I grew up in a UAW family. My father was on the line at the Ford plant in Oakville, which is just west of Toronto. He worked there for 25 years. I grew up in, uh, with the UAW newspaper coming into the house. We knew we were a union family. Every once in a while, there would be a strike, and my father and I would talk about the issues. And after that, it, it became natural that I would move into, into the labor movement. I graduated in communications from a journalism school and went straight into the labor movement. I was assigned to work in a, a little team that was uh, supporting strikes. We, the, the team consisted of a, a researcher and a communications person and a, a representative who was the negotiator. And we would, be, uh, we would be sent to strikes around the country. In those days, I'm talking about the 1970s, the, it was the height of strikes in Canada. I'm not sure what it was in the United States, but I suspect probably the same. When the strikes ended about 1981, uh, I moved in to become the head of the computer department for the union. I did that for 15 years and then moved to Italy where I became head of the United Nations uh, labor education program. So I've been busy in the labor movement. That's interesting that you said as the strikes kind of settled down and obviously the big sea change in 1980s is you have Thatcher and Reagan coming in and in a lot of ways with the help of, you know, unfortunately some of the Democrats in the United States with Reagan and I think maybe I'm not as familiar with the labor history in the UK, uh, they broke the back of a lot of organized labor and there's been a major decline since then. Could you talk a little bit about what you were seeing during those strikes in the 70s? Because a lot of people have no familiarity with that history. I worked for the Canadian Union of Public Employees, which is uh, the, the AFSCME of, of Canada. And in those days, there was a lot of migrant labor being used in public services, such as hospitals and school boards and such. And the, uh, the pay was very low. The working conditions were, uh, were horrible. Um, but CUPE, the union that I worked for, took it on. And we started, uh, we started to bargain seriously. Ended up with uh, many strikes across the country. But 
uh, I'm proud to say that uh, the, the people I worked with built up unions in the country to the point where uh, public service jobs and wages became much better. What happened was in uh, about 19, <clears throat> excuse me, about 1981 or so, the, uh, the Federal Bank in the United States decided that it would fight employment by taking the country away from full employment. So that's when Reagan came in and started attacking the unions. And now we've seen the result of the, in, the economic inequality that that has caused. In Canada, we're a social democratic country. So it was, we were not hit as hard, but the strikes stopped, which is why I, I then moved into, into the computer uh, department. And also, I'm, I'm really interested in the international component of the work uh, you did before we talk about radio, radio labor and uh, the International Labor Organization for the United Nations and Turin, Italy. What was that like? That's an education center, I believe? The, uh, the United Nations is, consists of many specialized agencies like UNESCO and the educational ones and all the rest of it. It's, it's labor wing. Uh, you can think of it as the, uh, the, the labor department of the United Nations is the International Labor Organization. It's, uh, it's quite old. It was uh, built, uh, it was put together in 1919, just after the First World War, because during that, uh, after that devastation, people understood that if you did not involve workers at a high level in the discussions of how economic activity happened in a, in a country, you would end up with, uh, with no solutions to the, working, to the problems that were being faced by the country, not, not just the, the working people. Um, and it's been going in 68, I think, or 67, the ILO won the Nobel Peace Prize because it was understood that if you don't treat workers correctly, and allow them to participate uh, equally in, a, in society, you get violence. And that's what's happening in the United States right now. And we, uh, it's the International Labor Organization that, uh, that, that, that fights for social justice around the world. It's very unique in terms of its organization because the ILO is operated as a tripartite organization. Tripartite means the equal partners of government, uh, business and labor unions run the organization. It is the only global organization where trade unions are at the top of the management of the uh, uh, of, of running the operation. So yes, I, I ended up at uh, the labor education program, which is in Turin, Italy. The uh, it is the largest union education labor education school in the world. We, we put people uh, through month-long courses. The, the, uh, the focus was on unions in developing countries. So I taught there for 10 years. At, towards the end of it, I became head of the program and then moved on to radio labor. Well, this leads me to my next question because I didn't grow up with history and labor and I wish I did. And I'm learning much later in life about the importance of the, the labor struggles coming before. But for those who may not be interested or aware of labor news, why do you think unions and organized labor are important and should be covered? Well, we could, we could talk about this for a long time and I'm sure uh, the people who are gonna be watching this understand the basic arguments, justice in, in the workplace, um, economic inequality, the kind that is in uh, both our countries and is causing the kind of, uh, of uh, conflict that, that is now occurring. But the major point is that 
labor unions allow progressive ideas to be articulated. It means that people, workers, and even union staffers don't necessarily know all of the arguments about all of the issues. They know they're part of a labor movement, so they, they would support an issue because the labor movement, their friends, their, their, their brothers and sisters, and, and, and people of other orientations around them say that this is an issue that is important and acceptable to be used uh, uh, in, in the labor movement, but they don't know how to articulate it. They don't know how to say it. And, and if you don't articulate, if you don't say it, you can't, it, you can't build it into your, into your practice. So that's why uh, radio is very important because when I listen to you and others on, on, on the podcast network, they are actually saying, they're putting forward the, uh, the, the arguments and that allows people to say, oh, that's why I believe in that. And that's extremely important. So could you talk a little bit about radio labor and why you wanted to start this show and in the format that you're doing and what it's about? As I mentioned at the start, uh, radio labor is the international labor movement's uh, radio service. So uh, we, uh, we produce uh, newscasts of five minutes, uh, Monday to Thursday. And then on Friday, we do our world report, which is 15 minutes. We uh, assign reporters to uh, go to conventions and, uh, and cover events around the world, and then we put them into our, our, uh, our, our radio programs. So that, for instance, the last time the, uh, the global body, which represents national union centers, such as the AFL-CIO, at the global level, had its uh, world conference, I would go and I would report on the daily activities. There, there is a... Amongst our, uh, ourselves here, uh, podcasters, there's, we need to talk about the, uh, the business plan of what radio labor is. If you go on, on Twitter, you will find that we only have 4,000 uh, uh, members, 4,000 people who are following us. We never started the, the, uh, the operation to build a huge number of listeners, like in traditional radio, where you would go for rate to listen to a radio program. We started off as uh, an activist podcast uh, radio service, so that when there was an issue in the labor movement, we would be asked to produce a radio program, uh, and, that's what, and that's what we do. If you go on our site, which is at radiolabor.net, you will see that we have the daily programs are on, on the left side of the screen. But what are, is most important is the, the features that we do as we go along, and you'll see them on our site. So it, 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 it's a way of keeping the issues alive. The problem with labor news is that it's not like CNN where the story is over in a half an hour and tomorrow you move on to another story. In the labor movement, the stories last for a long time. So you have to, you have to build a, a mechanism where your, your radio, your podcast, your, your programs exist for a long time and are interesting enough for people to, to go. So for instance, we have, uh, we have a strike happening in Newfoundland, which is one of our provinces. Uh, and we could have done a story and that would be it. But we do activist podcasting. So you can go to our, our site and, and see the story about, about the strike. The reason that we started Radio Labor was there was very little, none, um, 
international labor news. There were regional uh, radio programs. In fact, there were two in the United States when we started. They were daily labor radio programs in the United States. They died. They, they, they disappeared. And so thank, thank the powers that be that you guys organized the podcast network because it was very lonely for a while there. Uh, they were built on the traditional radio uh, formula. They, uh, they, were, they, were, uh, they were subsidized, they were funded by the local bakeries union or whatever it was. And once the unions started getting attacked so hard in the States and losing so many members, uh, the unions had to pull back their funding from many projects. And two, the two daily labor radio programs that were in the States stopped. I remember coming into work on, on the Monday and, and ready to file my stories to them because we, we fed stories to both of them. And, and they had messages up saying that they, they had shut down. It was, it, was a, a, it was a lonely time. What were the name of those uh, productions? I forgot the name already. Uh, uh, it, this is about two, three years ago. Okay. And they were, they were professional, uh, professionally run outfits. They, were, they, they paid their staff and, uh, uh, and, then, and then they just disappeared. It was, it was very sad. The other reason that we started Radio Labor was that the, um, because of glo uh, globalization obviously is, 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 a, is a major issue for, for working people. Very few people understand, let me apologize for that. Many people understand, but it's not well known that the, the international labor movement reacted to globalization and by building global unions. If you had asked me uh, uh, about global unions uh, 10 years ago, I would say they don't exist. They, what, happen, what would happen was that unions like AFSME or um, the American Federation of Teachers, they would have organizations called secretariats. And all they were were offices where if you wanted to find out about education issues in Africa, about labor, you would send a letter. It would take two weeks to get to Brussels and another two weeks to come back to, to Brussels. And they were, they were uh, underfunded, very little staff. They were called secretariats because it was like the secretary, the, the, the secretary in the offices. That has changed radically. The global unions, there are 10 of them, are now very well funded. They have, I'm, I'm making it up, but it's like 10, 15 people in their offices. Uh, many of them have offices around the world, and they have been able to confront the corporations in many ways that would not, we would not have been able to do if we had not built the global unions. So Radio Labor um, is, the, is the podcasting radio service of those global unions. Give me, let me give you an example of what, of, uh, what the, the global unions can do. Please. In 2013, 2,400 young, uh, mainly young women died in the Rana Plaza disaster in Bangladesh. That would normally have, uh, uh, I apologize, 2,400 were, were wounded, injured, 1,200 died. The, that would have been a news story in, in uh, the Washington Post or the New York Times and it would have been over with. But what the, the global unions did was they, uh, a couple of them who had members who, who, take, who do clothing, who do brands, uh, selling in, uh, in stores and such, they got together and they, they forced the companies in Bangladesh to actually put in a fund which would help the workers, help unionize the workers and made a, a tremendous difference. And that was only because 
the, the global unions took the initiative to do that. If we are going to continue in our way of globalization, which we are, we need to build a labor movement internationally, globally, and radio labor is part of that activity. Yeah, and if, it, if it's going to be transnational capital and transnational executive management boards, you have to have transnational labor uh, solidarity and organization. And I think what you're doing with radio labor, the, the dailies are extremely professional. They sound like the BBC. And uh, that's my Canadian accent. I practice on that. But it, it's very high quality production and, and your features are excellent and everyone should take a look at that as well. So moving to the, well, I, actually, I want to take a step back on the question or on, on how you um, discussed the collapse of some of these international uh, radio or international productions, and you're helping to fill that space with radio labor. But I've heard again and again that uh, there's money in these large unions, yet they've never built their own infrastructure to have their own communication channels. They, they still rely on external communication with corporation and, and the you know, MSM mainstream media. Uh, why is that? Why are the unions so, so behind the curve in getting their message out at least and, and like owning their own media? Well, owning their own media and, and what's happening these days are two different questions. In the, in the 20s and 30s in the United States and some, in some places in Canada, the labor movement had radio stations. They, they, they had staff, they, uh, they, uh, they broadcast uh, radio, uh, uh, labor radio programs, and then of course it, it, it died off. Uh, but what ha what's happening is, is the labor unions never kept up that in terms of broadcasting to the public. They turned inside to their members, had some people at what they were called in those days public relations officers. So there was a, there were people in the uh, the union that would put out the press releases and and, and such. And so there was uh, there was a, a dissipation of the the labor radio programs that were about. You can't blame them because they were being hit so hard they had to protect themselves. This is one of the. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, radio labor has a different approach to things, and maybe it, it, it might help some struggling podcasts in, uh, in, in the United States, is our business plan is built on um, supporting campaigns of labor unions. So if I were in Washington, for instance, and I knew that there was a labor issue, a campaign happening, I would offer free of charge to produce a podcast for them that would be tied to that particular campaign. That's what we do. If you go onto our site, you will see many uh, issue-oriented programs. Uh, the, that's allowed us to then send out a, a, a fundraising letter once a year saying, listen, this is what we do. We help the bakers. We, we help the communication workers during the, the AT&T strike or, or, or whatever it is. The idea that we can exist as labor radio by just doing the traditional 1920s labor radio programs and hope the people will come to us is not going to work. You will not be able to build the, the, the audience. You may get a large audience, but you're not going to get the funding because advertisers are not going to come to labor radio. So our formula is to be, is to be quite activist uh, campaigners 
and uh, develop. I, I think of them, uh, when I started off, I was a communications person. I would write commercials for, for uh, my union and, and others. I think of the, the programs that we produce, the five minute ones especially, as uh, commercials for the, the labor movement, the issues that it, it's addressing at the time. That it, we cannot exist with the traditional labor uh, radio formula. It's a great segue into my next question about the Labor Radio Podcast Network. So as a member of the network, how did you hear about it? And what was the process of joining? And why do you think this network is important? I heard about it because somebody sent me an email saying, uh, would you like to come and join our network? And I, I, I almost uh, you know, fell out of my chair saying, yes, yes. And uh, because um, it's such an important initiative you know, especially what's happening uh, in the uh, in the United States right now, the the range of progressive voices is building in the United States. But I but I fear that labor is not is not powerful enough to to, to get its issues out as as well. So um, build. I would hope, and this is a dream, but you know, I you know, this is the, the, we we're trade unionists. That's that's what we do. Is we dream. I hope, I'm hoping that the National Podcast, Labor Podcast Network will, will turn out to produce a national labor radio show, uh, a national labor pod, broadcast podcast and, and radio program, because all of the factors are there. Now, it needs money. It needs, it needs time to build, to see what its uh, traditions could be, how it react. But that would be, that would be a, a wonderful thing to have happen. The second point is uh, to support podcasters. I'm sure everybody listening to this as they sit in their rooms doing it or sit in studios understand that it can be a lonely process. I mean, you get up on a Tuesday and you've got to produce your show. Uh, there's nobody around, but I get messages from the network every day so that I know that, uh, that I have somebody that I, I can talk to, that I can find support for it. And, and most importantly, that I'm not a freak. I'm, I, I am part of a community. I'm not, a, I'm not a, an individual sitting talking into a microphone because I have brothers and sisters and people of other orientations to, to, to talk to about the issues that, uh, um, that are important for us. Um, and, and we've talked about the loss of the over-the-air radio. That is such a shame. But you guys, the network, is pro are proving that we have a new way of approaching the technology and getting out to our members. And it's being very successful. It's, I, I have to say, at the beginning, I thought, oh, yeah, another initiative. Oh, uh, because I, I get these occasionally. We have a new project. We, can you help us? And everything else. And I, and I say yes. And I'm thinking, you know, in two weeks, I won't have to do this. But you guys have held in. And I can sense from the people uh, involved that you're going to hold on. So, you, it, you, you know, be strong. It's, this is important stuff. Well, I just get so much. Um, I get so much motivation and inspiration from seeing all the work that everyone's doing on in the network and there is a tremendous solidarity in the network and and seeing the work that you're doing and i also think that the the network shouldn't be limited to national it should be international as you were saying and and we should continue to expand it so if there are people thinking about starting a podcast uh even if they're in africa or india or somewhere else we we welcome more and more content and uh and love the work that you're doing with radio labor as well well, Ben, thank you for that. And um, 
And as, a, as an organizer, you'll understand that I use every opportunity to throw in ideas. There is a national, um, excuse me, there's an international radio day. It's put on by the United Nations. And I did a couple of years ago, uh, a program of bringing together labor uh, people who were hosts of programs or podcasters on International Labor Day. We did the program before the, uh, the day so that we could send it out in, in time. And we got uh, four or five from the United States, some from Australia, um, a couple from Europe. It, but now it's building. There are more people learning the technology. The technology is getting cheaper. It's getting much better. I, I thank you again for your compliment of me sounding like I'm a BBC announcer, but that's because of the technology. You know, I have there. I can play with this stuff and make myself sound like a BBC announcer. So I think it's it's extremely important that the network uh, uh, take on a, a a global project like that. So I will probably be talking to you about how can we organize an international global uh, radio day. Love it. Love it. And in closing, looking into the future of organized labor, where do you see opportunity and hope? That is an extremely difficult question for me. As, as labor organizers, we are used to uh, constant struggle. And we, uh, we, we, keep, we keep up the fight. Uh, but we're working with issues that are, uh, that are, that are, are hurtful. You know, you, if you, you, you talk every day about uh, the lack of, uh, of equality in, in society, uh, trade unionists being uh, killed on, uh, in, in Colombia. Or uh, I asked my daughter one day, so did you listen to the program last week? She says to me, I never listen to your programs, Dad. I say, you never listen to my programs. She said, you guys always lose. Yeah, we lose, but we keep we keep struggling, and so it's important that we 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 keep up the the fight. You better listen, my brother, because if you do, you can hear there are voices still calling from across the years. And they're crying across the ocean, they're crying across the land, and they will until we all come to understand. None of us are free, none of us are free, none of us are free, and one of us is chained, none of us are free. darkness they just can't see the light if we don't say it's wrong then that says it's right we got to feel for each other let our brothers know we're here got to get the message send it out all loud and clear none of us are free none of us are free none of us are free if one of us is chained none of us are free